What's a social media marketer's favorite kind of cracker? Oh, man. That's a good one. Uh, um, I don't know. Instagrams. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that like was one of those obvious ones, and you're like, okay, yeah. You're like, I know this one. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Startup Stack. I'm your host, Lewis Barrel. This week, we're taking a deep dive into the world of performance marketing with Nima Gardide. Nima is the founder and president of Paramill, a growth marketing studio based in the Bay Area. Growth marketing is a relatively new space in the world of tech, and one with some pretty bold claims. Unlike other forms of marketing, performance and growth shops promise to extract an exact ROI on every campaign. As in, money in, money out, dollar for dollar. But is it too good to be true? And if not, why isn't everyone doing it? For those answers and much more, here's my interview with Nima. So maybe Nima, you could tell us a little bit more about how you started Paramill. We started out of what we call a, a failure. <laughs> so we've actually been in tech most of our careers, but all the founders and uh, we had this startup that we went through sort of YC's fellowship with and it didn't work out. But what we had realized as part of that is A, that we love working together and B, that we're pretty good at growth in general. Most of our backgrounds been either in marketing or product and growth is the, the combination of those two things together. So when that company was failing, we sort of like decided that, hey, we could do this for other companies and start focusing on helping the different sort of sectors and software that we're interested in. And how many founders were you? Back then, it was just the two of us. And then we added a third one because we realized we need a creative arm. Um, that's one of the most important levers in performance marketing. So we added a third co-founder, Mary. She ran her own social media agency in Australia and then moved to the US. And that's when I met her. And we added her as, as a co-founder about a year and a half ago. That's kind of how we started. You're just talking about performance marketing and the uh, critical elements of skill. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is performance marketing and tell us more about these critical elements of doing it right. Yeah, so I think that the universe of marketing that we like to focus on being performance bar- marketing is essentially if you can specifically calculate the return on investment of any sort of work that you're doing, that's kind of the general universe. Can you tell me what the dollars in, dollars out are of, of the work that you're doing? Um, and specifically for us, we, we focus on you know the obvious two general channels within this universe, which is paid search and paid social. So paid search being you know Google, Bing, DuckDuckGo, social being Facebook, Google, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snap, TikTok, Pinterest, you know, those sort of social platforms, um, even some next door here and there. But uh, those are sort of the general channels and performance marketing being essentially, can you calculate the ROI on the work that you're doing? Yeah. And is that a synonym for a growth agency or do you view those two things differently? I think I, I, I slightly view them differently because, you know, if, if you're just a pure performance marketing agency, you're probably doing creative and out operations. And that's kind of the two things that you're doing. A growth agency goes a little bit deeper than that. So creative and... And ad operations. So being like basically going into the ad accounts, launching the campaigns, setting the strategy for how to do targeting, how to choose the different channels, maybe doing a little bit of the analytics on top of that. And that's kind of what the, the old school performance agencies used to look like. The reason we call it a growth studio is because we also have software as part of uh, the work that we do. And... You need to have software in order to get to the massive scales that, uh, that some of these bigger companies are, are, are spending. So if you're spending, uh, let's say, half a million to a million dollars a month or, or higher, you can't do this stuff by hand anymore. You're just going to lose 
uh, lose the game. Um, so you have to have some software that comes in for automation, for analytics, sometimes even machine learning, depending on the scale. And some some folks have this has these teams in house. So if you if you look at the big companies like Airbnb or like Booking.com and even like TripAdvisor or any of these marketplaces or the bigger companies, they have a team like ours in house where there's purely focused on performance. They're writing software, they're producing creative, uh, they're doing analytics. But the sort of middle of the market that isn't the size of these behemoths can't afford a whole team for this stuff, right? right. So that's kind of where we come in. And we, we help out with resources on both the creative and out operation side. And then you get access to state-of-the-art software that you would have had to build yourself anyway. And that's, that's proprietary software that you guys have built. Yeah, it, it's basically, I, I'd say it's custom per client because the, the problems right. are different. Um, so think of it as slightly, like there's a platform we build on top of, but otherwise the, the software, the rules and what works and what doesn't is very customized to each client. Do you give these like custom softwares that you deliver to each client, like really cool software names? No, but now I want to. <laughs> you should. I know. I'm trying yeah. to think. I'm like, what are you know, Einstein or Apollo? Oh, I'm like, I, I feel like they could have really cool names. Yeah, I love it. We really should. We have like this, the most obvious names, like we have the template engine, but we should really be, be a little bit more creative there. Yeah. Everest. Right? <laughs> well, speaking of names, where did the name Paramill come from? I'm a big fan of naming things that are contextual. So Pearmill was created out of two different historical things around advertising. So Pear comes from a name of a company called Pear Soap that was in the 1800s. It was one of the first companies that is attributed to running an ad. And they did it in a a magazine, I want to say. And what they did is they uh, bought a painting from a an artist whose name was John Milias, and that's actually where the mill comes from. And it was a kid with a soap in his hand, I think, <laughs> sitting on a bench, and it just said pear soap on it. And that company became a behemoth, and eventually was a precursor to I think what became um, P and G. Yeah, so that that's kind of where the name comes comes from. We put those two things together: pear from pear soap, and you know, mill from John Milias, who's the artist behind behind the bubbles painting uh, that they used. You know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the beginnings of Paramill. You're working with pretty large clients, spending really significant advertising dollars. You're building, you know, custom software for each of these clients. What were some of the challenges you faced in in getting started? Yeah, I think being trusted with with that much budget is is a very hard thing to do. There's two things. One is that we thought we were very good, and when you enter the market, you realize that the game changes so much that what we knew about performance marketing kept changing every six months. Um, so we had to learn that it's much more about process than it is about knowledge. Is, is essentially the way I'd like to describe it is that we are almost, we think ourselves as scientists and instead of doing experiments on earth, we're doing experiments on these platforms to discover the rules. And then we use the rules to our advantage. And that's kind of what our process actually is internally. We run a growth process. It's basically an experimental experimental approach where we define hypotheses of why we think this could work, what metric it would, it would push and move the needle on, uh, and then we run the experiments. And w- the ones that work, we create playbooks out of until they lo- no longer work and we have to use other playbooks. Tell, uh, this is fascinating. I'd, I'd love for you to deep dive into one of, one of these examples. Like, Tell me about starting a relationship with one of your large clients. What what is that? What does the beginning of the relationship look like? How is the working relationship formed? 
Yeah, I think a good example for this is um, recently this year, obviously it's been a, a volatile year. And in March, when the lockdown started happening, we had this company come to us, uh, Sonder, Sonder.com. They were a distributed hotel. And obviously they were going through a bit of a turmoil because they had yeah. they were doing extremely well before March. And then literally every week, the CEO could show me that the conversion rates were dropping, the revenue was dropping, starting basically end of February. And we started working with them, I think the third week of March. And what they wanted to do is essentially just maintain their ad spend level. They just wanted to, uh, sorry, not ad spend, they want to maintain their revenue. And their original sort of growth channels were not even Facebook or Google or any other performance channels that you would have thought of. They, uh, in, the, in that industry, you get your customers from what's called an, an OTA, online travel agency, which would be your booking.coms, Verbo, Airbnb, all these different sort of players that are aggregators of you know, hotels. And then you, you get your customers from there. But no one was searching on those things anymore. So they were not getting the traffic and we had to sort of rediscover a new channel for them. And so the original hypothesis was, are people still willing to book hotels? Yeah. Period. Across any of these channels. So we started going across about three different channels at first. We found that Facebook was working. uh, So we shifted our whole budget onto Facebook. And then we just kept figuring out what is the messaging that's working right now? What what can they do in in terms of their product and their service? to support what's happening. So we ended up helping a lot of nurses and doctors isolate from their families. We tried yeah. you know, get people that were in these essential jobs, find homes while they were trying to not infect others yeah. or people who may have had the virus to go get find shelter while they were sort of quarantining. So all these sort of different pieces of messaging that ended up working and also their services had to change. So then you could do check-in without having to speak to anyone. They would send people to clean the place. Tell me more about that because you're an outside firm but you're discovering these pockets of a value proposition that really seem to be working, but you obviously have to be working really closely with your clients. You know, as you said, the services are changing, maybe that the client offers, the check-in process might be changing. Mm-hmm. How do you do that day to day? Yeah, I think that's a, that's the toughest part of our job, right? Because we are an external party coming into your company and telling you, Hey, this is what you should be doing sometimes. And I think what works very well for us is can you think of us as someone that's just part of your larger growth process? All we do is we just bring on the data and then we can help you run that process more efficiently. The, the sort of ideal client for us is someone that is running a growth process internally already. They are thinking in terms of hypotheses. They are thinking in terms of how, what metrics should we look at to move the needle. And then all we do then is be part of that conversation. So for Saunders specifically, we put a tag team together. We call them the sort of the CRO team, the conversion rate optimization team, um, where we had PMs, designers, user experience folks, and the chief revenue officer and the VPs on that team thinking about this problem together. And then they were shifting stuff from their end. We were shifting stuff from our end to figure out what works. And it actually, quite frankly, is one of the more interesting things I've done in my career, trying to um, shift the whole company services within a few weeks to to survive and, and they did a great job and now they're growing incredibly well. Paramill has been growing a tremendous amount over the last three years. You know, you're over 20 employees now. You know, what do you think, tell me a little bit more about that growth and when for you did you really feel like it, it was clicking and they're like, yeah, this is really going to work? Yeah, you know, to be quite frank, uh, the first two years of this company, we didn't think we were going to we want to grow it. We just wanted to be the two of us kind of consulting um, because we weren't sure if we wanted to do an agency to begin so with. So for two years, it was just two people and how you've grown yeah. by 10x. Yeah. Oh my, oh my. I can't even imagine what that's been like. 
I mean, it's been interesting to say this, to say the least. The decision to grow the company was around September of last year. We decided that, hey, we've learned enough about marketing and growth in general that we can do a good job. That's number one. Number two, that we realized software can actually play a good role here. We've always wanted to build more software. That's what, what interests both me and my co-founder and, and, and our third co-founder that we added. We wanted to sort of build a company that is enhanced by software. And this was just such a wonderful sort of entry to that because it's a highly operationally hard problem running a growth agency. There's all these different disciplines working together. But also software can help both make that more efficient internally, but also we can have gains and wins for our clients. So it was such a sort of great combination of, hey, can we have software and a large team working coincided with that software to make it make it work? And when we realized that's a possibility, we're like, why don't we just build this company uh, and then make it big? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun ride this year, <laughs> growing this way and um, trying to get even in, more into it with different companies. Hey. Do you like our show? I do too. If you want to support the Startup Stack, the best way to do that is by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Also, send dad jokes, or if you have them, actual good jokes, to podcast at rocketplace.com. Feel free to send us feedback there too. You know, you're over a dozen clients now. So you like to describe them, they're fairly large, right? Maybe not they're maybe not quite as big as an Airbnb, which would build this in-house, but these are very large clients. I'd love to talk about if you think about a the typical client that you work for, where would they be at where they should start thinking about working with a performance marketing agency like yourself? Basically, we 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 let in two types of clients. One is what we called, I think you mentioned it earlier, is the whale client, right? They're already maybe big in some way, either in, in forms of ad spend, so they're doing a lot of ad spend already, or they're based because they have other channels. like 500K and a million dollars a month of ad spend. Yeah, so those the, the whale type, you should be around that area, or you're okay. about to get there. So if you're like doing 250, 300, and you want to go to a million, you want to speak to us, that's kind of like the, the perfect spot. And that type of client, you know, it just depends. Why, why are you going after an agency to begin with? Is it a resource problem? Is it an expertise problem? Have you not maybe been able to put in enough thinking around building software around this stuff? Because that's kind of how you have to win at that scale. And do you want to come to someone that kind of understands it? That's kind of the, our, our ideal customer. Someone that maybe is already spending uh, and wants us to k- take him to the next level because we have more resources. You know, it's very rare that you'll have illustrators, graphic designers, motion motion folks, videographers, photographers, all in-house in a team producing stuff for you, right? On the creative end and on the software end, it's very rare that you can have engineers full-time working on just a specific part of the problem for your marketing team. And we have all that in-house, right? So that's kind of the, the first type of customer. And when you're meeting a new client, how long do you think it takes to kind of implement that, the setup? We get started within a couple of weeks in terms of taking over the ad spend, but to discover what pieces of software help or what pieces of creative, it's just a process. Basically, we just run these experiments constantly. We, we say, for instance, hey, do we think if we did this thing with the catalog ad, ads API on Facebook, we would get gains on CAC? Um, and it, at first, we would just do it super manually. We'd do it via like you know spreadsheets. And then if it works, great. Now we're going to systematize this and write software to automatically do it and even do it a better job than when we were doing it manually. It's all a process, uh, I'd say. And then for the creative side, same thing. What pieces of messaging do we think work? Uh, Does this format work? Does this sort of concept work? And then we sort of dig in deeper into it. Okay, so, you know, let's say some of our listeners out there 
are approaching this size, they're thinking about hiring a performance marketing agency, or or maybe they're smaller, to be honest, and they're thinking about hiring any performance marketing agency. What would be the questions that you think that you know these companies should be asking when they meet different performance marketing agencies in order to evaluate one from another? I think you should first figure out what type of performance marketing agency you're working with. Working with, and by that I mean, is it a hero-driven company or is it a process-driven company? Okay, well, what's a hero-driven company? And the hero-driven ones are basically they're usually around one or two marketers that are incredibly good, and they've left and started a consultancy. Um, and you kind of what you're doing is you're buying that name, that person's like knowledge, and you're thinking, okay, this is going to be uh, the company that's going to help me scale. And those companies are very good except until they're not. And in, in, in the case that if they're hero-driven, that means that you want to be working with uh, the name on the, on the wall, right? If you're not getting that person, that partner to be on your account, you're likely getting a worse experience, right? You want to be working with them in their earlier stages when they're only like five people. That's like the perfect sort of size of that performance marketing agency when there is one person who's very good and they actually maybe don't have any ambitions to grow the size of the agency. They just want to do good work uh, and you want to go after those types of people. And it's very good, especially in your early stages, because they're going to dig very deep into your company, understand what's going on and trying to really shape the marketing apparatus of your company. And the other type is sort of the process type. And I, I would say we're kind of in the middle of these two in a way, because of course, Myself and my co-founder Kareem, who's who's our other growth partner, we sit on on the account still because we we want to keep the size big enough that it's interesting for us, but still small enough that we can still be involved in every account. But we have a very strong process on how we constantly do well for our clients, and we teach our team how to run that process very tightly and succinctly, and then we teach our clients how to run that same process inside their companies. Uh, so we are definitely one of those process-driven agencies, and you're kind of buying into the process. Yeah. So for the hero one, you want to judge the person. For the process one, you want to judge the process. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about a process-driven agency. What are the questions that I should be asking to really evaluate? Do I think this firm has a good process? How do I distinguish between two firms that maybe are process-driven firms? Yeah, I think what you want to figure out is... and. and this is so, so I've, I've actually hired agencies in the past being on the brand side. Is the process beyond just performance? Is it just focused on, hey, we just know that we have to launch creative every week and we do this this targeting this way. Is, is the process around sort of like different pieces of performance marketing or is it more cohesive of learning about the nature of the market? And, and I would say the processes that are thinking about what is it that works in this market is, are far more powerful than, oh, we just know how to do Facebook ads well, and this is the process that we run in order to do Facebook ads. We'll ask like deeper question about the market, and that's our, our process. The hypothesis goes way be, well beyond just the channel that we're trying to work on or uh, the specific growth problem that we're trying to solve. We're trying to figure out what it is about this market that makes consumers buy or makes businesses buy the, your product, and then we, we then work backwards from there. So you want to judge how far is the process running in, into the depth of the market. And if, if, if you can judge that and can see that um, the agency's thinking beyond just that one channel, I think that, in my opinion, right, this is obviously why we design our process this way, uh, a better agency. And, and the ones that are built the process around, oh yeah, we just know we launch creative every week. And this is how we, we think about creative production. This is how we think about targeting. What I would be worried in that scenario is, are they capable of changing their model when the rules of the game change. Because Facebook changes their algorithms every 90 days. So does Instagram, so does WhatsApp, same with Google. They just change it so often that what you used to work six months ago 
may not necessarily work again. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times about how fast everything's changing. Over this year, what are some of the things that have changed that have been really notable? I mean, obviously, we've had huge things happening in the world, but I'd love to understand from a performance marketing perspective how things have changed. And, and where do you see things going in 2021? What changes are you anticipating? Uh, there's been like a small trend that's become like the, the standard now <laughs> this year. I'd say I think that you kept hearing that creative is important and you should do more creative, um, especially on paid social channels like Facebook and Instagram. And the reason this became a reality is that before, even a, a, as, as early as a year ago, it was about you know slicing your, your targeting in all these different ways. I'm going after people in between 25 and 35 and 35 to 45. And then splitting the genders and having all these things in different ad sets or different campaigns and then producing custom creative for each of these sort of pockets. And, and by um, custom creative, what do, you, what do you specifically mean? So let's say um, in, in the old days, you would have one of, one of your ad sets would be 25 to 35 uh, women or men. Right? And it would be what? Just like a picture? Yeah, it could be a picture or, or a video. And, and I mean, different. there's different ad formats, right? And there's carousels, there's like tons of different ad formats on these different platforms. And what you would want to do is cre produce creative that resonated with that specific slice of the market. Or you would go out there and find customers you already have in that part of the market and ask them to produce stuff for you. And this was like a big trend for a while where you would have user-generated content. You'd ask your customers to talk about your product or take pictures or videos of your product, and then you'd use that as the ad unit itself. Yep. And we still do some of that, but that's become less important. And that's actually one of the things that's changed this year is user-generated content. As important as it, it has been the past couple of years, it's becoming a little bit less important because it's harder to nail exactly what you want of the content. Where now the new thing that's become the sort of standard is the broader you're targeting, the lower your costs. And the reason for this trend is because machine learning has become such a huge part of Facebook and Instagram's ability to target people for you that when you get rid of your targeting optionality and say, hey, you know what? I just want to sell things. So you tell Facebook, I want the purchase event to fire more. That's what I want. What they do is they will find people in their user base that are likely to fire that event for you. So it's machine learning based, essentially sub-targeting uh, of your larger market. And what this does is that it puts a lot more focus on the creative itself because the, the, the market is massive. So you want to show creative to people that are actually going to buy your product. And you, you want the creative to be so obvious that when I, as a user, see the creative, I know exactly what this product is about. And I will only click if I'm likely in the market for this product. So you don't want clickbaity things in the larger sense. You want them to only click on them if they resonate with your product space. So we call this selective creative. Like you almost, we, we sometimes even start the copy with, are you in the market for X? Do you think, do you have this problem? You know, we, we want to qualify the person before they click on Can it. Can you tell us about a piece of creative that maybe recently has worked really well? Yeah, I think that the interesting thing for Saunders is, is another, we talked about them earlier, is what we realize is that people really want to see what the apartments that they, they have look like. Um, so we have these sort of mini videos where we do like a very fast sort of uh, scan of the apartment. You see the kitchen very quickly, you see the, uh, the bed very quickly, and maybe if there's amenities, you see them very quickly within like a 15 second sort of slot. And it gives you an idea what this place looks like. And they have these gorgeous apartments. So immediately you're hooked. <laughs> and that kind of gets you, gets you excited. And then later on, we have, we have ones where there's someone even walking you through more slowly. So if you maybe watch that video, we then later on show you another video of someone that's actually living in one and telling you, here's like how I live every day. 
I make my coffee, I wash my dishes, I uh, have access to laundry inside the unit and kind of having them pitch almost the, what the hotel experience looks like. It's their, their apartment hotel. So you, you get, get a full kitchen and set up for it. So this sort of like flow through the creative is actually important for these types of clients that um, the average buy is, you know, thousands of dollars because someone will stay at, at, at one of these apartments for like three weeks and that's thousands of dollars of, of revenue for them. But it's a it's a decision that someone takes quite a few weeks to make. Um, so we want to show them the different pieces of creative so then they, they over time build more conviction that, you know what, Sonder is a solution for me. You know, we're in the shadow of a monstrous election season. And one of the things I've heard is that with all of that going on, and then right after that, we have the holidays, billions and billions of dollars are being spent. You know, we had the election, billions of dollars spent on holiday advertising, that actually it's a terrible time to be doing performance marketing because the costs are really high. How do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think the it's been I thought last year was bad. This is the worst year ever in terms of cost CPM. And there's also a third thing that's happening this year beyond what you just mentioned, which is, you know, in Q2 and Q3, marketers were not spending as much for quite a lot of these brands because they thought, hey, you know, the virus is going to go away. Uh, We're going to spend a lot of our money later in the year, which is exactly what they ended up doing, even though the virus didn't go away. They're dumping their budgets because they don't want to lose these budgets. So the CPMs are going even higher because of that. So there's just so much happening. And, you know, for some of our clients, we've just lowered spend, to be honest, right? So... It's because they're just not going to be competitive anymore for for this quarter. Um, they're going to be fine January onwards, but if if their product is not relevant to to the holidays or um, what's happening in the last couple of months, then maybe they shouldn't be spending. And we quite often give that as as the advice. And for some of our B two B clients, especially, we've reduced re- reduced spend. But some of our other clients, like Sandra or even Nursefly, that's very relevant because obviously they, they, they help nurses find jobs and all these hospitals need, need nurses right now. They're, they're scaling up. And you know, as marketers, our job is to sort of fight against the market dynamics. So that means pulling on all the different levers as hard as possible. You know, the, the four levers of sort of performance marketing is targeting. Can we, can we change our targeting in a way that we enter auctions that are less expensive? Creative, can we produce more creative uh, to, to get click-through rates up and costs down, right? Landing pages, can we produce better, higher converting landing pages? And the last piece is sort of what we call the data lever. Can we come up with different, more creative ways to send signals to Facebook and Google and LinkedIn so that their machine learning algorithms do a better job at finding more relevant customers for us, right? So we've just been on the past month or two has been the hardest for us because we're doing everything at the same time. <laughs> Usually we'll like focus on one of these levers at a time and slowly find optimizations where now we're we're trying really hard to kind of find optimizations everywhere yeah it's definitely a hard quarter i was actually wondering for for rocket place like do you guys have folks coming in in this quarter and saying hey we want to do marketing like has that changed for you guys like is that something more people are coming or they know of this dynamic and they're like well we're just going to wait until january uh to maybe find an agency or work on this stuff it's funny you asked that but i was looking at the numbers recently over the last like 30 days and marketing and design as a search on our platform has been the most popular recently versus what historically we we have seen is software development being the most popular. And that has flipped over the last 30 days. I wonder if because it's getting harder and they want help. <laughs> I think to your point is that maybe people were saving, you know, it's getting harder. Maybe budgets have been saved to the end of the year here, cost per clicks are going up. 
And so, yeah, people are very focused on ending the year well and spending dollars there for sure. I want to ask you a question about starting Pear Mill. If you could go back and give yourself some advice, knowing everything you know today, what would be the advice you would give to you and your co-founder, you know, three, four years ago? Yeah, I mean, I wish we had brought in a co-founder for creative earlier. I thought we were good. And then when we added Mary, who's our chief creative officer, and she built a whole team around herself, our just performance started getting so much better. It's not that we weren't doing creative before, but we didn't have someone who had the combination of analytical thinker plus extremely creative mind. And uh, I think we were very analytical and that part we had we had for ourselves. She just comes at the problem with a totally different lens where she looks at the data, but then she also like has to combine that with a level of intuition that is just beyond what I'm capable of. Well, I love that. I'm sure, I'm sure Mary will love to hear it. The, the piece of advice, I wish I hired Mary earlier. <laughs> yeah, we tell her a lot. I mean, she's like changed the company for the better. And if you could give the, you know, the other entrepreneurs out there one piece of tactical performance marketing advice for 2021, what would it be? Yeah, I think uh, not to sound like a broken record here, but I think you got to think about what is the process underlying everything? Are you, are you learning from these initiatives or tactics you're running in a way that you can use it to get better? Are you learning that you, this concept you tried out on Facebook, for instance, worked? Why did it work? Why is it that this piece of creative that you launched has 2x the click-through rate than the ones that you've been running all year long? Because if you understand why these things are working, you can systematize them. But otherwise, you're just going to try to basically run a Hollywood-esque process where you're just trying to randomly come up with things that work. What you want to do is find formulas that work. And that's how you sustainably grow instead of coming up with the next cool campaign idea. Awesome. Well, Nima, this has been great. It's been really cool hearing about Paramill and everything happening in performance marketing. I really appreciate the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This is fun. I always like doing these. You're a pro. I was taking notes. I was like, this is such good stuff. <laughs> I was yeah. like, man, ba-boom. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com slash podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.